Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. Good morning, beautiful people. This is Nube Brown here at KPOO San Francisco 89.5. I am your host here at Prison Focus Radio, and we are going to have a beautiful show. We are going to be hearing from Jamelia Land and her husband, Samuel Brown, who is in Lancaster. Jamelia Land is an, a human rights activist and organizer, and so is her son, uh, uh, sorry, her husband, Samuel Brown. They are instrumental in uh, getting uh, the ACA California Constitutional Amendment put forward with uh, uh, who is now Senator uh, Kamliger. So we are going to hear from them. We are going to hear about the ACA 3. Uh, we are going to hear from Samuel first. Um, about about this uh, bill that is this constitutional amendment that is being put forward, and um, and then some of their thoughts on 
what is taking place with modern-day slavery taking place within our prisons. Okay, here we go. Started because we have such a short period of time. Just go ahead and introduce yourself, and please just let us know. Well, let us know what it is that you want us to hear about. Okay, my name is Samuel Nathaniel Brown. I am the co-founder of ASAP. I am the founder of the 10 E program and the original author of ACA3. Her encouragement of my wife, Jamelia. And what I want you to know the most is that prisoners are people. And just because a person has been convicted of a crime doesn't negate them from humanity. And at ASAP, we are strong proponents of the theory of emotional illiteracy-based criminality. And what that means is no one was born evil, no one was born a blood or a cripple or a surrender or a pimp or a prostitute or a player or huff, any of those things. But these are characteristics that we pick up, you know, along the way. Through social construction, but more importantly, we adopt criminality as a coping mechanism for unprocessed traumas. And we believe that prisons should not be solely dedicated to punitive measures only. It shouldn't be just about punishing people. It should really be about allowing people to heal. And therefore, prisons should be rehabilitation meccas. And as long as we have the vestiges of white supremacy permeating the landscape and dictating how prisons are operated and ran, then we'll never get to that place where we need to be as a society. So that's why it's so important for us to push this legislation, ACA3, so that we can be progressive in the way that we approach dealing with criminality and also being the change makers that we have been called to be. Because now is our time. Um, Malcolm X, he was a great individual. He didn't get it 100% correct. He did what he could during his time, his generation, Martin Luther King, same thing, and even Abraham Lincoln. They, they did what they were supposed to do or called to do at their time, and now it's up to us as the change makers of our time to accept their ideologies and the decisions that they made to affect our life and pick up the torch and make the decisions that we need to make in order to effectuate change during our lifetime, but also for the next generation. And so this is why ACA3 and amending the Constitution, Article 1, Section 6, is so important for us, as well as on the federal level, it's so important. Because these private prison corporations, the American Legislative Exchange Council, they do not care about our black communities, our brown communities, our Asian communities. They do not care about destroying our families. They only want to fill their coffers. And they feel that by they do that by filling these prison cells at any cost. You know, any kind of legislation that they can get through for tough on crime policies, they're gonna do it. And this practice of enslaving people once they're incarcerated and making them work for pennies on the dollar or for nothing at all, dates all the way back to slavery, you know, and it's a direct derivative of that. And there's no reason over a hundred something years later that we still should be operating with that same paradigm as a, as a thinking people and as people that evolve. And so we at ASAP believe in our ability to evolve in our shared and on our shared humanity. So that's why this legislation is so important. And that's something I would like to share. And thank you for the opportunity. And if there's anything else you want to ask me, please do. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Samuel, for um, you're so eloquent in speaking. And I want to make sure that the audience that is listening knows about really what ACA3 is and why it came about. Because it, uh, I will just be real with you and transparent. I did not know about the exception clause to the 13th Amendment until I was 50 years old. And there are still people that, that you know, as, as quote, Americans, right, we don't have to go through the process of, uh, like, like immigrants coming into this country, they have to, to become citizens, they have to take these tests and do all of this and get, gain all this knowledge in most Americans. And sadly, many Americans don't really, uh, really know what about the Constitution? They don't know what's in there. So would you be, um, would please um, suss out some more uh, what ACA3, uh, ACA3 is about and why it came about? 
Okay, thank you. That's a great question. So the popular narrative that is told that many people believe is that the Emancipation Proclamation of 1863 abolished slavery in America, but it did not. What it actually did was it conditioned slavery, and it conditioned it on the, the, the uh, uh, conviction. And so the exclusionary language that you were referring to, it specifically states that involuntary servitude and slavery are prohibited except as punishment for a crime. So something else that we believe in ASAP is that the Civil War was to free slaves or the enslaved people, excuse me, the enslaved people, but whether it was an antitrust suit litigated in blood on the battlefield because the South had a monopoly on the latest technology, which was slavery, which was, you know, the, 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 tour, the, the incarcerated, not incarcerated, but the enslaved black folks, and the North wanted in. And so what this exception clause did was allowed anyone that has a corporation to benefit from prison labor, whether you're in the North, the South, the East, or the West. If someone has been convicted of a crime, then they get shipped to a prison camp or a prison farm. And your corporation can contract, it could have contracted with a local sheriff or the head of the Department of Corrections, and you can cut costs and save money, and it would destroy a community and at the same time benefit a corporation. So that was a, that's the province of it. That's the origins of it. Now, fast forward to today, that concept is still at work here all the way in California. In 1849, when the South representatives from the South were discussing adding California to the Union, they wanted to expand slave territory. And the California became part of the Union in 1850. And when we fast forward to 2021, what most people do not realize, they're oblivious to this fact, is that California is now the premier plantation state with over 30 prisons. With over 30 prisons, this is the premier plantation state. Because you have people such as myself and countless others who are forced to work and do the job to keep the lights on for the prisons so these private prison corporations and PIA and other state agencies can make a killing, right? And so it was so important for us to push this legislation because the prison industrial complex is wreaking havoc. You have 60 seconds remaining. So many areas of all of our lives, not just incarcerated, but also the families of the incarcerated, they're impacted too. And... It cannot stand without the free labor that's provided by all of us inside of the prison. So that's why it's so important. And furthermore, it's just, you know, it's a stand that I read that I've fallen in love with. But what is morally wrong cannot be politically correct. So there's no reason why in 2021, as a group of thinking people, we should still allow the vestiges of white supremacy to permeate the landscape today. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded by any means or uh, any for any reason is just unacceptable period and i'm sorry this call was so short but thank you for this opportunity please support aca3 y'all please support the california abolition act let's bring about a change Absolutely. We will make sure that we do that. Thank you so much, Samuel. We'll actually, um, we're going to have to have you back as well. And I do want to remind people that both Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X were also both prisoned. They were imprisoned and, and so considered criminals to be imprisoned. Thank you, sister. Um, he's probably going to call me back in a few minutes. If he does, um, I can bring him back in. If not, um, I'll give you a call. I'll give you a call when I'm done with him. Okay, that, that sounds fantastic. And, um, Perfect. And I'd like him to be able to tell you firsthand his story and experience with COVID because Lancaster was the first facility in California, thank you, to um, have an outbreak. And he was sent in to clean a the office of a, a telenurse. Um, and then he had to go in and he had to close several cells. Um, and he has this one horrific story about a man who was rushed out of the facility, <coughs> excuse me, and they called him into um, his cell to clean it, and they had moved so fast to get the man out that they had literally just pulled the IVs out. The machines were still running. Uh, IV fluid was dripping all over the floor because they hadn't shut anything off. There was fluid everywhere, and he was terrified. He didn't have adequate PPE gear, and he had to go in there and he cleaned. And, you know, when he told his supervisors about his concerns of contracting crisis at the time, no one really knew what it was. 
um, they told him straight up, you know, if you don't go to work, you will get written up. And he goes to the parole board in August. So he really had no choice. It was my, run the risk of my freedom and going home or run the risk of contracting COVID and losing my life. And subsequently, he ended up contracting COVID anyway. And so, um, <sighs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, and, and reason, well, sister, just know, first of all, that, um, we have so much, you know, love and support for you. And I, and to be able to be willing to share these stories is, uh, I think it's so important. And, and I always say with the listening audience, especially with people that are new here, because those that have been listening for a while know this, this is not entertainment value. This isn't about just listening to somebody's stories and, um, and kind of, uh, you know, just kind of getting off on the resilience of people. You are, you are people. And this, this is about um, educating ourselves and understanding what's happening so that we can we can stop this practice of modern day slavery that's taking place within our prisons um, and putting people's lives on the line um, and being given a death sentence when that first of all wasn't their sentence and um, that's a whole other thing to around sentences and I, I so appreciate also um, that uh, you know Samuel did mention and uh, but hearing your voice and understanding about how this affects families and understand people when it affects the families. Those families are a part of our community just as their loved ones behind the walls, just because they're behind the walls. They are not, a, they, they, it's not that they cease to be a part of our communities. Right. And, you know, it's, I, I really appreciate you for, um, you know, recognizing that because, you know, we, our family got slammed real hard. I contracted COVID mm-hmm. in March. I was down for about eight weeks. That was before we knew what it was. Um, Then his facility had an outbreak. Then his mother contracted COVID. My father contracted it and died. My uh, Mm -hmm. oldest two children's uh, Mm -hmm. grandfather, their their biological father's grandfather, he contracted it and died. Mm -hmm. Um, And then... You know, facilities, my mother's in a nursing facility, and that facility was shut down, and I couldn't see my mother, and her main care provider contracted COVID and died. Mm -hmm. And so within a very short span of time, and then my husband contracted COVID, and for about four or five days, he was calling me, and I I knew he was sick, and he would try to not cough. When he was on the phone, he didn't want anybody to, to know, you know, what was going on because he was afraid that he was going to be thrown in the hole. Um, and so it was, it was, oh my God. It was, it was terrifying. And, and then all of a sudden he gets snatched up. I get a call from a man I don't know who tells me your husband has contracted COVID. They have put him on quarantine. All right, excuse me, folks. Unfortunately, Jamelia and I got cut off, and so um, there's just kind of an abrupt break here, and we come back with her talking about um, the uh, the press conference and uh, Senator Kamlager's uh, talking with uh, Samuel Brown, Jamelia's husband hallway talking to the senator and uh, she was talking on my cell phone with Samuel and it was it was just a very emotional moment um you know she was sniffling a little she had tears in her eyes her glasses were foggy um if you could have felt the energy in the room in there there we had 83 people in the queue everyone voted in favor it was a unanimous vote the emotion was so raw, and she. And when I tell you, she is a champion because we have been talking about it. Um, you know, how are we going to address the issues of wages, right? Because there's always this conversation, um, and there's always a pushback. And today, she just she came and she came aggressive, and um, we got the favor of the committee chair who started talking about fair wages for, excuse me, for our incarcerated 
loved ones and, you know, let this be the beginning of revelations. And I mean, it was such an awe-inspiring moment. And then to get a unanimous vote, to get Tom Lackey, who's former law enforcement and very anti, you know, <laughs> certain things. Exactly. <laughs> um, it was just, it was just absolutely, it was mind-blowing. It was mind-blowing. And after the hits that we've taken in Louisiana and Texas, um, you know, this is something that we needed for the morale of the country as well. And so, um, you know, we had people call in from other states that were in agreement. Uh, we had, you know, Max called in from South Carolina. We had New Jersey call in. We had, you know, people from Louisiana call in, all in favor and supporting California. You know, and Max, Max made a statement. He said, you know, uh, I want you all to know that the world is watching. All right, and for those of you that may not know, Max Parthas is the premier expert on the abolition of legal slavery in America, and I invite all of you to go to his um, his site, Abolition Today. You can find that on Facebook, Abolition Today, and you can get a serious, serious education on uh, legal slavery in America, the whole idea behind abolition, uh, his philosophy, his take on it, the, the facts and the research and the history and all of it. If you want a, a deep education and a deep dive, a deep unpacking of um, the crime against humanity that is slavery, was chattel slavery and is now still slavery, um, codified by the exception clause to the 13th Amendment, again, go to abolition today. All right, now it was Senator Kamliger, Sidney Kamliger, that actually put this uh, this bill forward, but she started as an assembly member. So it's pretty awesome to have started as an assembly member working on this bill and then be able to bring it through, through to the Senate. And I was asking uh, Jamelia Land about that because Jamelia had talked about how Kamliger really came uh, with uh, this just very aggressive, well, what she called aggressive, but, you know, powerful uh, statement around and position around reparations and um, how uh, in terms of people's labor inside of our prisons. And so I asked Jamelia how she felt about that. I love, like you said, that she came aggressive. She started talking about wages and she was talking about the start of reparations. And I would love for you, if you wouldn't mind just, kind of giving us your take on um, on how that feels for you, how you feel about that in terms of reparations, and as we are coming up on to Juneteenth this Saturday. Well, you know, when, when, we, when we start to have the conversation around reparations, my personal feeling is that uh, the United States of America would be bankrupt if she had to pay the debt that is owed to the ancestors who have toiled this land and made it what it is. Um, and so, and so I, I don't think that there is ever a dollar amount that can be placed upon the pain uh, that we as a people collectively have suffered in this corporation. And, and I say that uh, not that I am anti, uh, I just say I'm not anti-American. But I'm also realistic that we talk about this place, the United States of America, and we speak of it as though it is a democratic place. And that's incorrect. We are a corporation. We are a corporate capitalist society, and that is how we function. Uh, but if the people are comfortable with believing the falsehood that we are uh, democratic by nature, if that's what makes them feel good and sleep at night, hey. But the truth is in the pudding. And so, um, you know, this is, it's a, it's a big step for us. Um, we have a fight ahead of us because power does not like to concede, as we know. Uh, but this is long overdue. You know, prisoners are people too. And as long as we continue to allow the practices of criminalization and dehumanization, 
for the purpose of capitalization, it's a no-go for me. So the fight is on. I, I, I love it. That is so beautiful. I love the way you put it. Um, I, I, I love getting these nuanced perspectives, uh, but we're still on the same place. This is, a, this is a still a continued crime against humanity that's taking place, in my view, when we have millions of people that are, are caged, many of them for decades, many of them for crimes that they didn't commit, and many yeah. of them for crimes that really shouldn't be considered crimes. I, I, I really appreciate um, your, uh, your take on it. I, I really do. And what are the, um, this is a huge victory. Um, what is the next step for this bill, ACA3? Well, um, we will be having an official press conference, our second official press conference this upcoming Saturday, along with a rally, um, as we will be simultaneously announcing the results of the hearing uh, from today, uh, quote-unquote, celebrating Juneteenth. I think people are going to be in for, for uh, a surprise uh, because we are going to be giving a history, uh, of the account of the history of slavery in the state of California. It's amazing that so many people don't know. Uh, for example, there is a, a federal courthouse in Los Angeles that was once a slave market. Um, people don't know that the first governor of the state of California was from Tennessee and that he was a slaveholder and had, he never had any intention for blacks or Native Americans to, to have any form of citizenry or rights here in the state of California. A lot of people don't know that, you know, there was a newspaper in San Francisco that actually put advertisements of slaves for sale in San Francisco. Um, and so as we continue to talk about California and people want to believe that we are this liberal, progressive state, um, we're going to have to deal with the truth of the matter is that California has just as ugly of a stain on its history as some of the states in the deep south that have been known for horrendous acts. What has happened here in California that was perpetrated against the Native Americans, against the Asians, against the Hispanics, against African Americans, you know, specifically around mass incarceration, it was all designed to be that way. When we hear people say, well, the system is broken, I beg to differ. It's not broken at all. It's functioning and operating just fine. Uh, it's designed to do what it is doing. And so it, we have to look at the historical context in which all of these things play a role, and we have to be very mindful of how we go about dismantling it. And so I personally believe that there's no time in this country that we can have a conversation about reparations or gentrification or uh, economic enfranchisement or equity of any sort until we get rid of legalized slavery. Janelia, this is, you're so beautiful. It's so great to finally, to finally speak with you. Uh, it is my pleasure, sister. I've been waiting to talk to you for a while, and I'm I'm sorry it's taken us so long. It's it's been so much going on, but uh, well, that's definitely we're busy getting this exception clause out of the state of California's constitution, and this is work that is being done all over the country with the abolish um, abolish slavery uh, national network. Is that yes, correct? yes, that is correct. That is correct. Now. Okay, so when is the press conference going to take place, and how can people uh, be a part of it, watch it, um, and and what else do people need to know? Um, is it so? The, the the other question I have is is the victory that the the exception clause is actually going to be taken out, or does it have another step to go through yet? So we we have we have a few more steps to go through. Okay. Um, our goal is to successfully get through these next few committee hearings. Our next hearing will be in appropriations and we are we are hoping to be able to get on the calendar before the legislature goes on or the legislation uh, body goes on recess. Um, and then we come back after recess and we go to the other side of the house. And so the goal is to get this on a ballot, excuse me, for 2022 uh, to allow the people of the state of California to vote and decide if we as a collective of citizens of this state 
are in agreement that slavery should continue to be legalized in our state. Fantastic. And I love the history lesson because as I was telling Samuel, I did not know about the uh, the exception clause to the 13th Amendment of the National Constitution until I was 50. I'm 56. So I've only known for the past like seven years. I was just about 50. So uh, this is so important because the truth will eventually reveal itself. And for sure, it is uh, coming out. And I think that this is just a golden opportunity. I love that you are bringing in the historical context in which we live. Thank you for calling out California for what it is. And I agree with you. I think we are not going to be able to move forward in, like you say, in an equitable way, in a um, in a human rights way until we reckon with our past and what is truly taking place, especially when it comes to slavery. But you can find more information about the coalition, the work that we're doing, and the press conference. You can find us online at enslaveryincalifornia.org. We can also be found on Twitter, Twitter pardon me, at, uh, I believe it's Abolition Act. You can also find us on Instagram at Abolition Act. So we are we are making sure that we um, we keep our, our social media sites updated. Um, you can also find me on uh, Facebook at Jamelia Land, um, where we are also pushing out additional information. Fantastic. And spell your first name. J A M I L I A. Fantastic. Jamelia Land. Um, Jamelia, thank you. Thank you so much for this. Um, this is so outstanding. And I really just kudos to you and your husband and all the people that have worked with you uh, to bring this forward uh, and, and, and bring this in a way that is so real. It's not just drama. It's, it's, it's the real of what is happening and why it is so important to, to talk about Yes, whether we want to be living with modern day slavery or we actually want to be living in a way that is is right and that speaks to our human rights and how we are treating one another, uh, basically. Uh, I mean, on, on the most basic aspect of our um, our relationship with one another should be about empowering one another, uplifting one another, and of creating circumstances where people can actually be at their best, not um, snatching up people from their communities, destroying their families, weakening those communities, simply so that, like you said, um, it can feed the corporate model that this country is. It is really America, Inc., not the United States. Yes. Yes. So thank you. Thank you so much. And, Jamelia, we will definitely... Um, uh, uh, speak again. I'm, um, I'm, I'm glad. Uh, I'm also so happy to hear um, that you and, and your husband Samuel um, have regular phone calls. If you ever again want to share one of those with us, we would be more than happy to have any kind of update or, um, and, or just uh, be able to uh, speak further and more in depth about, uh, about the work and, um, and just your perspectives for sure. Well, we really appreciate it, and and I want to say, you know, though we may be the ones that the public may see to a certain extent, we take no credit for this. First and foremost, this is God, and secondly, this is the people of the state of California. We are working on behalf of the people. This is a collective effort, and it's going to take all of us in order to get this thing through. That is so beautiful. Thank you. And so people hear that. You do want to be one of those people that is the people of the state of California, right? So because yes. all power to the people. And, and, and thank you for that also. And you mentioned how many uh, other states, how much support that you are getting from the other states. This is a place that we can be a model and we can be a model for the truth. So thank you again, uh, Jamelia, for that. Um, and, um, and yes, like you say, um, the higher power is, if, if we are open to it, uh, know that it is definitely in charge. So thank you so, so much, sister, and we will talk again. I really appreciate you uh, giving us your time. Thank you so much for having me, and I look forward to talking with you so soon. All right. Beautiful. Okay. Okay, we'll talk okay. again. Peace. Yes, indeed. Bye-bye.
If you are just joining us, this is Prison Focus Radio. I am your host, Nube Brown, here on KPOO San Francisco 89.5. We have been, I have been in conversation with Jamelia Land and also her husband, Samuel Brown, who is incarcerated in a Lancaster prison. We are going to take a quick musical break, and this is uh, dedicated to Jamelia and her husband, Samuel. Here we go. Welcome back. Uh, this is Nube here at Prison Focus Radio, and we are going to hear from Imolimo out of Corcoran. He'll be giving us an update and giving us some thoughts on Juneteenth. All right, go ahead. Okay, yeah. Uh, you know, like I said, it's, it's Corcoran, you know, so we got, you know, the weather's kind the weather's in been changed and it's uh it's in the triple digits we're just getting prepared for that but you know hopefully this program gets opened up uh next month on the 15th like they said and uh things will get to going smoothly because you know a couple people got board dates coming up next month and uh in july i heard of a couple that you know they got their board dates and they need those self-help groups to you know go into the board and show that they've been a productive person whatever that's supposed to mean in prison. But um, that's that's what I'm looking forward to, to see a lot more people get up out of here and uh, go be pillars of the community and do some positive things, you know. Um, or it seemed like what we've learned and been through in here was, was for nothing if we don't go use it, you know. So that's what I'm hoping I can see happen. I hear you. Well, for those folks that don't really know, because we'll, you know, we definitely want to air this. What about the idea that, I mean, why are people being punished for not having been able to do any programming when it wasn't their fault that they weren't doing any programming? I mean, you know, programs that were halted or stopped because of COVID, but really, CDC smaller finds all kinds of ways to. You know, kind of mess with this people's call programs. and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. You know, mess with pe- people's programming and also really not taking, uh, you know, putting in an extra effort. We know that CDC Small R does not put in an extra effort to make sure that people get their programming. Do you want to talk about uh, about that? Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, you know, the way I see it, CDC, they're going to do whatever they can to keep inmates in prison, I mean, because it it would seem like they would lose a job. You know, mm-hmm. if there's a lot of us getting out, which they don't want, then they won't have no place to work. I mean, think about the 90s when the prisons got built all over this state. You know, you had prisons being built in these little rural areas where 
it's, it was farming area. So a lot of these people couldn't afford to go off to college, you know, or didn't land no good paying jobs. So once they built a prison, that opened up the job market for them to do that, you know. And it seems like that's the problem. They don't want to see us get out because, well, especially the ones here, from what you hear as far as the chatter, they'll lose, you know, a job because they won't have nobody to watch. Just like when they let us all out to shoot, you know, they was getting paid triple pay watching inmates in the shoot. Yeah, know? exactly. So, mm-hmm. you know, now that's what it seems like is, is going on. But, you know, another thing, implementing these cameras in here, um, we see it as a catch-22, you know, because now we could lose the 602 process trying to, um, you know, file for any type of injustice that goes on, you know, because everything would be on camera. And no telling how they'll, they'll be filming and how they'll watch it. Um, it could also go against them as well, you know. Some of them might feel like, well, they're under the microscope a little bit too much, and they won't be able to get away with nothing. So, you know, anything that harass us and hinder us, that's what they'll do. So they don't want the groups to come back because they know if people go to the port, they'll get released if they qualify, you know. So it's 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 just uh, it's prison, prison uh, uh, bureaucracy, just like I society. Yeah, right, you exactly, e- exactly. It, it is the, the bureaucracy. It's the capitalist system. It's it's a system of exploitation and of you know people's bodies, people's labor, and um, yeah. Hey, um, did you yeah. want to talk about the Juneteenth coming up? I mean, only because I mean I'd love to hear your perspective on Juneteenth. It seems like the narrative around Juneteenth has definitely shifted over the past. I don't know over the past five years. I don't. I don't. I don't really. Uh, I don't really know, but do you feel like the narrative has changed on Juneteenth, that it's not just this simple, you know, celebration of we got free on, you know, in 1863 and two years later in Galveston, Texas? Do you see, do you have a different perspective on it now? Or how do you see it? Well, I see, I see the uh, releasing of my ancestors from the plantations is some sort of freedom, but how can we really celebrate freedom when we still, we're still oppressed in some form of slavery? I mean, they created the Runaway Slave Patrol, which is now the police department, which, as you can see, is getting away with killing us. You know, they're training certain type of white supremacist-minded officers to patrol inner cities and teach them that, you know, the black people who dress like this or act like this or talk like this are bad people, and they're killing us without impunity or they're putting us in prison. They're coming up with laws every time you turn around to give uh, harsher and and longer sentences to people. So did we really even get free? I mean, I don't think the struggles our ancestors went through was to see the future where we were still in a different form of slavery. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's the sad part. So when you think about Juneteenth or you think about what um, our ancestors went through, teaching that history and that story is one thing, but showing you that things have never changed and it's same practices being being done because they kept those clauses in the amendment and gives them the right to do so. You know, teaching about the truth of capitalism and fascism can let a person see how we're still in some form of slavery, you know, which is still good history, you know, because a lot of us still don't know it. And, and that's what you really want to do. So when you see any types of celebrations and people telling you why they're celebrating this, I think the conversation should go a whole lot more deeper because it's still relevant today as to the practices that are still being done. I mean, in the inner cities, you have still crime because it was inflicted through drugs. You know, you you have the lack of qualitative programming, and people are prone to do robberies or other forms of illegal things to make ends meet. You know what I mean? So there's, there's, there's still a problem going on out there that we have to eradicate. And and I think if there's anything that needs to be done, it's us to be aware of what's really going on and how things have really not changed. And, and it, it's going to be us, the ones that change it. And if we do understand these things, then we can start making those changes where they're needed. Mm-hmm. So this call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. 
back to that education again. And interestingly enough, as we all know, and we've we've talked about this before, um, uh, you know, an educated person makes for a a, a poor slave or a, a, a bad slave, right? And and uh, yeah. so, um, you know, kind of no surprise. There's been a take, uh, corporate takeover of of our our academic or you know school systems, of course, and underfunding of of schooling, especially the um, the HBCUs, and also thinking about. Uh, I mean, definitely historically speaking, we are we aren't as far along as, as as we would want to be, and that we know that there's that, that is deliberate, and uh, but you know, back to the education, the educational um, aspect, and do you feel like like maybe we haven't come as far as we would like, but do you also feel perhaps that people that more is uncovered and more and we're we have a better chance at understanding what's been really taking place? more than before, let's say? Yeah, yeah, I do think so. Because whenever you find some forms of injustice, it's going to always trigger the conversation as to why, what happened. And when it becomes a pattern, then you have to see it for what it really is. And you can't allow yourself to be divided any longer. And that's what re-education does. It, It did for me. It opened my eyes up and made me realize being a part of a gang or, or selling drugs or anything illegal and negative like that should never be something that we choose to do, you know. And if we open our minds and realize that a lot of things that we learned in history, we can still utilize today to bring productive programming to our inner cities because we know what the problems are and we can get rid of those problems. So the way I see it, there is a lot of awareness out there. There is consciousness being developed, and it's implemented in certain practices that you can see, you know, and taking the initiative is what a lot more, I think a lot more people need to do who do know better and and not go back or resort to the old ways of doing things because you can't get the type of change you want if you do that, you know, and right now leadership is more important than anything because these youngsters out here are, they're thriving in a way more rapidly mentally than I was. You know, these youngsters out here are, you know, in, a, in the right positions to, you know, come up out of these colleges with degrees at young age and get into the workforce. And if they understand it's a capitalist system that they're going to be a part of, then they can make a part of that change. You know, I mean, the biggest thing I've seen was that Occupy Wall Street movement. They didn't exactly know what was going on, but they knew that there was a problem. And with the right leadership, they could have challenge capitalism in, in, in a way where it might even be broken by now, you know. So, like I said, there there is um, always good things to think about. Um, and, and as long as you have people curious, then you can always educate them. Mm, in, indeed. Absolutely. And that is one thing we definitely want to keep people um, is is curious. That I I love that. You know that's so interesting because I was just about to ask you about like kind of like the new language that's showing up. You know we're hearing so much more. It's um, we really are attaching words like uh, you know genocide. People are able to start thinking about anti-capitalism, ab- abolition, defunding the police, refunding community. I mean uh, uh, shared humanity. Uh, humanity just in in general right not even just shared but just right, humanity right. and and a humanity you know the um uh, crimes against humanity i mean we're really starting to see that we're really talking it's more and more you know the necessity and the be, needing to speak about reparations and we're hearing so much more uh the language is really uh changing and possibly making our uh, us more curious and uh, uh, more questioning. What do you think about the language? Yeah. Oh, yeah, most definitely, most definitely. With that, la- with the language, I mean, you, you want to know what those things mean. And when you hear about them in depth of what they mean, you see that they still make sense because you understand what has happened. You know, a lot of times you'll hear people say, oh, that was in the past. But 
the past has been repeating itself over and over and over again because of the changing of the language. You know, so now it's time to center in on, you know, what you know that those that those words mean, and you can do something about it. You know, so when when I when I see and hear people ask me questions about what this means, I give them a history lesson. I teach them the same way I was taught, so they can have a, a broad understanding of it and be a part of the change that comes along with it. You know, and that's the good thing. You know, because a lot of times when you when you have those curious you have sixty seconds remaining. If you give them the right things, you never know. You could just make that abolitionist or that revolutionary or that activist, you know, and then, you know, next thing we know, we didn't finally got a smile on our face because they made the change that was needed. <laughs> right, right, and being able to come to it themselves simply by being an inter, you know, uh, in communication with, interaction with, uh, you know, the the elders or just people that might seem to be a mentor for them. Ah, absolutely yes, beautiful. Most definitely, most definitely. Yeah. Oh. Of course, we have to finish this conversation, uh. sis, again. You know, they're going to cut <laughs> us off, but it's always a pleasure. You know, it's always a pleasure. I send my love to you and the brother Malik. You guys take care, and I'll talk to you again soon. All right, beautiful. Yes, you take care until then, of course. You know, clenched fists of love and solidarity. You know, we care about you. Right back at you, sis. Love All and right. peace. <laughs> yes, peace. All right, we are now going to hear the last, uh, the sixth part, the last part of the evil dehumanizing practice within the short corridor torture chamber by Satawanantambu Jama'a and Mutope Duguma. Uh, last we heard CDC, small r, COs, and other officials were messing with their mail and thereby also you know, harassing uh, family members. And, and in this case, the last we heard was they have opened investigations on nonprofit organizations that help political prisoners or advocate for prisoners who are in supermax shoes, also the short corridor torture chamber. So we're going to continue now with legal mail. The CEO's open legal mail based on PBSP DOM Department Operational Manual Addendum Chapter 50000 Subchapter and 54000 Section 5010.1A.3 7. Instituted through policy at the prison level to go into prisoners' legal mail. Incoming confidential correspondence must have the name title, and return address of one of the officials or persons listed listed in the CCR Title 15, Section 3141, small c, per the CCR Title 15, Section 3143. The name of an agency or firm is not, in and of itself, sufficient. The return address must include the name or title of the specific attorney printed on the outside of the envelope. For example, the title attorney at law without the name of a specific attorney, law office followed by the name of attorney, attorneys, or the name of a law firm is apparently not sufficient. This policy allows ISU, IGI to violate legal mail correspondence that is confidential unless it's mailed specifically as stipulated per policy. As a result, prison officials, ISU, IGI, are reading prisoners' confidential mail on a technicality. In some cases, they even go into legal mail that is done as required per prison policy simply because the prison, IGI, ISU, wants to read the legal mail. They are arrogant and disrespect the law and order and CDCR's own policies. This is not an anomaly, anomaly, people. This is ongoing. And I will remind you that this booklet um, was written, I believe, in 2010. Visiting. Many of the families of us in the SCTC cannot afford to go on visits due to the fact that we are being housed away from home over 900 to 1,800 miles, depending on where we are from. We're so far away from our families that it costs too much to even consider it for families hard-pressed for cash. 
but those of us who are fortunate enough to get visits are forced to go through a harassment that literally destroys the visit when you are placed under the surveillance of a camera and your whole visit is recorded per the order of the secretary of the CDCR PBSP OCS. IGI officials are physically prowling throughout the visiting room, harassing prisoners while they visit with their families. Just like the mail, if you say something that can be misconstrued or manipulated by IGI officials, you will receive a CDC R115 rule violation report, and then your visiting will be terminated. So they make it next to impossible to enjoy your visit with your loved ones, which is their objective, to harass you and your family till you stop wanting to go out to visit your loved ones. The IGI knows that each visit costs up to 500 to $1,000 per visit, and these are non-contact visits, so the harassment is again effective. There have been attacks on people's families on their way home, where family members were being intimidated by being run off the road. These actions cause tremendous suffering for the visitor and the prisoners. Therefore, the compromising of prisoners' families who come to visit and the constant harassment that our families have to endure trying to visit us while coming miles and miles away is not worth the visit, especially if you can't enjoy it. We are hearing from political prisoners. We are hearing from people who are being denied their freedom and their life uh, simply because of who they are, not because of what they have done. That makes you a political prisoner. And hundreds of these men are still being caged by uh, the state of California, by the uh, California Department of Corrections Small R Rehabilitation System, under the watch of the governor. These men are becoming elders. They are dying inside. Um, some have been returned home, uh, but they are well into their elderly years. They have been subjected to this that we are hearing about, and this is the kind of ongoing vestige of slavery that is taking place that is harming our people, our communities, and ultimately this nation. We cannot continue on like this and expect to uh, come out ahead. So this is why we bring this to you so that you can help be a part of the change. Abolition now. Okay, I'm going to read the last two segments, moving into phone calls. Prisoners housed in the short corridor torture chambers are not allowed phone calls unless someone dies in your immediate family, i.e. your mother, father, brothers, sisters, your children, and grandparents, even if they are your guardian. And under these circumstances, who wants that phone call? Unfortunately, when one has to place that call, one can't show no emotions during such a call because you are being screened for vulnerability. Plus, who wants to show someone who has been torturing for you for years their humanity, i.e. your vulnerability? Indeterminate shoe. Prisoners are placed in solitary confinement simply, simply for being political prisoners, influential prisoners, and jailhouse lawyers based upon prison informers. IGI, ISU, and OCS fabricate documents by using prison snitches to say that we're prison gang members. Even if we have no rule violations, no violence, no offenses, nothing but the word of a prison snitch, many of us are condemned to death in solitary confinement. Prisoners are held in lockup indefinitely. There are prisoners who have been in solitary confinement for 40, 30, 20, and 10 years straight and being tortured psychologically and physically this whole time. If this is not inhumane, then what is? That concludes this painful and powerful booklet, The Evil 
dehumanizing practice within the short corridor torture chamber by Satawa Nantabu Jama'a and Mutope Duguma. That is our show, beautiful people. Get ready for Work Week with Steve Seltzer. All power to the people.